Can I encourage you there to pick the Bible back up from the pew in front and turn back to that passage in Matthew chapter 17. We had a wee break last week from our series in the book of Matthew. Uh, Dr. Kieran Martin was here and, and filled us in on the work of Asha. Uh, so we've had two weeks in between the last section that, that Christoph uh, helped us to understand there um, in the verses previous. So today we, we pick up again in chapter 17. Let me pray before we, we look at these words together. Father, we, we thank you for this day and for this place and for this moment right now. This moment when we can open your word, your word that is real and is living and has power to, to speak to us and to change us. Lord, enable each of us now to still our hearts and to, to get ourselves in a place where we are ready and we are willing and we are open to hear you speak. I send your spirit to, to enable us all to do that. And by your word, change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Who or what do you spend the most time listening to? Who or what do you spend the most time listening to? And let's clarify, I'm not talking about hearing. I'm talking about listening. Big difference. We all hear things all day. But who or what do we listen to? There are a whole variety of answers this morning. Um, you maybe listen to the radio on the way to work. You maybe listen to your children when they want something. Many of us listen to our partners, or at least we better. But we all listen to lots of people, lots of the time. This morning's passage that we come to in Matthew makes it really, really clear that if the person we're not listening to most, in fact, if the person we're not listening to most of the time is Jesus, then we're getting it really wrong. What we're thinking about this morning is one of the most mysterious reports from Jesus' life, maybe even the most mysterious. Verse 9 describes it as a kind of vision. But it wasn't just something that the disciples saw. Because they heard God's voice as well. And this is the sort of thing that if you had been part of it, you would never forget. And one of the ones who was there was Peter. And years later, Peter actually wrote about this whole incident. He wrote about it in his second letter. And the impact of this event had lost nothing for him. I'd like you to turn with me to, to Second Peter. It's on page 1,222. Page 1222. And it's some words that, that Peter wrote about 30 years later. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. This is what he wrote. He says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories. When we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. 
With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Peter specifically says it was not a cleverly devised story. But this was something that he saw and he heard. He was an eyewitness of this majestic and glorious event. And this morning we're going to think about this event and what it means. But before we do, we need to look at the setting. Because this whole thing happened after something. It happened, as Matthew 17 verse 1 tells us, after six days. Just six days have passed since Peter got it massively right and massively wrong. You may remember that the Jewish leaders have been trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus' disciples are so slow to understand who he was. And then it seemed like there was a breakthrough. Because Peter correctly described Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, Son of the living God. And then the very next minute, Peter was trying to tell Jesus what to do. And trying to stop him from going through with his stated plan of dying and rising again. And you may even remember that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter got it massively right and massively wrong. And Jesus then told them that following him was not going to be a high status occupation. He said, it's going to be about giving up your life and getting a new life from Jesus. It's going to be about suffering now and denial now. It's going to be painful hard work now, blood, sweat and tears now. But there would be a reward and everyone would be repaid for what they'd done. And then Jesus said something really quite strange. It's in the last verse of chapter 16. You want to have a look at it there. Because he said, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What can that mean? When would anyone see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Does it mean that Jesus had made a big mistake and the expected judgment day to come and he expected judgment day to come within a generation? Well, Matthew's gospel as a whole wouldn't make a lot of sense if that's what he meant. Or if he means that, if he's talking about what we just read about this morning, Jesus' glory on the mountain, it's not exactly surprising that people would still be alive six days later. And we could hardly say, as strange as it was, that that incident could be described as the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. If it was just the resurrection, well, that wasn't very far away either. Maybe it refers to Christ's expanding kingdom, seen in Jesus' gospel preached and responded to throughout the Roman Empire. So what I mean is that people present with Jesus then, before they died, would come to acknowledge him as king. And so the Son of Man comes in his kingdom because people have put him on the throne in their lives. Well, we, and certainly I, would love to know just what Jesus meant, but it's really quite hard to be definite. But after six days, what a strange, mysterious, but glorious incident. There are clear parallels here to things that happened in Moses' life. He went up a mountain, he was transformed by God's glory. 
His face shone. He also had three people go part of the way with him. But there's a lot more happens here. So we can't simply be content to say that Jesus is the new Moses. At the very least, we'd have to say Jesus far surpasses Moses. But even then, questions remain. For whose benefit was this meeting on the mountain? Was it a meeting that Jesus needed? Was it Jesus who needed to have the affirmation from his father before going through the crucifixion? And what was he doing talking to Moses and Elijah? Was he just checking out that he was doing things the right way with them first? And then there may be other practical questions. The Old Testament records that Elijah went to heaven without dying and that no one ever found where Moses' body was buried. But is it just these two or any dead people who may be returned to earth centuries later? Will heaven be people in dazzling white robes with shining faces? Or is this just some sort of picture? Folks, I don't know the answer to these questions. It remains a very curious incident. But there are some things we can be certain of. And so those are the things that we must focus on this morning. I'd like you to read verse 5 again. The voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. There are three things from this verse that we're going to think about. And they are all to do with Jesus. Firstly, Jesus is God's son. Secondly, God approves of him and everything he does. And lastly, God wants disciples to listen to Jesus. So first, Jesus is God's loved son. God the Father says from the cloud, he says, this is my son whom I love. Do you see in verse 4 there, just before the voice, Moses and Elijah had been there. Okay, so, so Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and Peter, James, and John are all up this mountain. And Peter starts to get himself a wee bit excited. And he wanted to do something to mark this momentous occasion. He wanted to do something. And he's thinking, what, what can I do? But Peter, in his haste, kind of gets the wrong end of the stick again. I was talking to Dave Gray during the week. And he was telling me that over this weekend, he was taking some kids from school on a Duke of Edinburgh trip somewhere up the Mourns. And uh, I kind of imagine, I think it was Friday night, Dave might be back, I'm not sure. I think it was Friday night he was taking them up just on a, on a practice trip. And I can imagine them all trudging up the mountains. And as soon as they reach the point where they're stopping, when they're exhausted and tired, I can just imagine those students throwing off their rucksacks. And before they get a drink of water or anything, their first priority is to put up the teacher's tents because they love them, they respect them, they, they really want to help them out. Well, I think Peter switches into Duke of Edinburgh mode here because he wants to get the tents up for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. He sees them all on the same level. He thinks, I've got Moses, I've got Elijah. There's nobody better than these three. Let's get a tent for each of them. But Peter has missed the point again. Because he sees them all on the same level. He thinks they're all as important as one another. And so what happens? Well, God cuts in. 
Moses and Elijah may have been important, but they did not belong on the same level as Jesus. That would just be ridiculous. Jesus is God's son, whom he loved. They were not. They were just human. Now, it's vitally important for us that Jesus had a full human nature and body. How encouraging it must have been for the disciples when they were overcome by fear at what they'd just seen, when Jesus came and touched them and told them not to be afraid. Because Jesus was fully human. We have a Savior who knows what it's like to be one of us. But he was more than one of us. He was God the Son who took on human flesh. And this window into glory that we have here is is a sort of a glimpse, not just of what was to come, but also of the glory that had been. See, Jesus didn't become God's Son. He didn't become God's Son at his birth. He didn't become his Son at his baptism or at his resurrection. Jesus always was God's Son. We might think there's only a couple of verses in the Bible where Jesus makes unique claims that rule out all other faiths and belief systems. Sure, we can all think of verses like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. With that verse in Acts, there is no one else under heaven or on earth by whom man may be saved. When in fact there are many places through the Bible where God makes it clear that Jesus Christ was God himself. And many places where God makes it clear that only he should be worshipped. This passage we're looking at this morning shows us that it is right to worship Jesus. This passage also shows us that it is wrong not to worship Jesus. Jesus didn't become God. He always was God who became man. So we are not worshipping the true God if we do not worship Jesus Christ as God. As devoted as Jehovah's Witnesses may be, or Mormons, or Muslims, or Jews, they are all deficient at recognizing that Jesus is God the Son, loved eternally by God. All religions or faiths are not the same. The only true and right one recognizes Jesus as God's eternal son. That's what God says. Secondly, the plan and the person of Jesus Christ are acknowledged and approved in the next thing that God declares. As God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Of course, God the Father always and eternally loved the Son. But God the Father loved him also and especially in his work of becoming flesh to rescue people. God the Father is well pleased with his Son who is determined to carry his cross. God the Father is well pleased with his Son who is determined to give up his life for the sins of the world. who is determined to build his church, who is determined to feed the crowds, Gentile and Jew, and heal them. God the Father is well pleased with the Son who is determined to speak against the false teachers of the day, 
who has determined that his kingdom will grow and be the thing that is worth more than everything else we have. God the Father is well pleased with him. He approved of his becoming flesh. He approved of his baptism by John the Baptist. He approved of his teaching and his ministry. And he approved of his plan to give his life on the cross. Here we see God declaring his approval. And later he demonstrates it when he raises Christ from the dead. This might be being a little harsh on on Sarah Beth, but I'm sure I'm not alone in finding myself loving my children but not approving of what they're doing at some moment or other. Or we can think of ourselves and the things we did which shamed whoever was in a parental role for us. The love is always there, but there's not always approval. The love of God the Father for the Son was permanent and complete, but so was the approval of his behavior. He was always well pleased. Jesus was like us in every way, but without sin. He was perfect. There was never, ever anything in the life of Jesus that God the Father would have done some other way. And just as Jesus always delighted in God the Father and put him first in his life, God the Father was always delighted in his his Son, And approved of what he did. With him I am well pleased. Folks these words that we've looked at so far. Are about who Jesus is. And what he's done. Everything he did was perfect. He is perfect. He is God. But the words from heaven were not just. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Because we're to do something. We're to do something because Jesus is God the Son. We are to do something because his life was perfect. We're to do something. We are to listen to him. Peter certainly needed to hear that. He would not listen to Jesus' plan that he must go to Jerusalem. He would not listen to the fact that Jesus had to undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. When Peter heard that, he began to rebuke Jesus. Peter needed to listen to God's Son. The disciples were told that all who wanted to be Jesus' followers would need to deny themselves and take up their cross And lose their life for his sake. They needed to listen to Jesus. Anyone who thinks it should be an easy thing to follow Jesus. Or a thing where comfort and success are guaranteed. Needs to listen to Jesus. Anyone with a mind more set on human things. Than gospel things needs to listen to Jesus. So many things we worry about just don't matter in an eternal perspective. And things that do matter, like our spiritual lives or our children's spiritual lives, 
or our neighbor's understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Or the fact that people at our workplaces or our schools don't know we're Christians. Or they know we are Christians, but don't really see it making a difference. These are the things that we so often neglect to worry about. We need to listen to Jesus. And we need to get his priorities, not our own. We need to listen to Jesus. Matthew, who wrote this gospel and had been a Jew, longed for Jews to listen to Jesus and to obey him. You know, Matthew must have been asking himself, if the great servants of the Lord, most faithful and hardworking like Moses and Elijah, the giver of the law and the restorer of the law, if they acknowledge Jesus, why wouldn't Jews convert and listen to him? Matthew must have been thinking, you Jews, you have to believe in Jesus as God's son. But what can we do with this? What can we do with this sitting here this morning right now? Well, we could say that I think this is a load of rubbish. We could say, I don't believe this happened. I don't believe Peter when he says he was an eyewitness of God doing this and saying these things. We could say that we just don't believe it. If that's you this morning, then let me just ask simply. On what basis do we say that it didn't happen? How do we know? If you're in the I don't believe category, have you really looked at the evidence for Christianity? Have you really looked at the evidence for the Bible? And then we could say, well, yeah, I'm happy to say that this happened, but that's it. That's all. It happened, but it's of no relevance to me personally. Well, if you believe that this happened, then you believe God exists. And if you believe God exists, but it's not making a difference to how you live life, then you're in a really dicey position. Because even the demons knew that Jesus was the Holy One of God. Are you waiting for God to shout at you? before you will listen. Or what about if we accept that it happened? So we we believe this, we know that it happened, and we also know that there are implications for us. If Jesus is truly God, and God has demanded that we listen to his son, and we're making some sort of an effort to listen to him, we're Bible readers most days, we're prayers, we meet with others in some sort of Bible study group, We realize that the Christian faith isn't one way among many, but it's the only way, and that's the way for us. Maybe that's where we're at. But we're also listening to several other things at the same time. And one day we're being influenced by this thing, and the next day we're being influenced by that. How much of our commitment has God actually got? But what if... What if we were to move to the next level and really depend on what Jesus says? What if listening to him was the bedrock of everything we do to make our decisions trusting that what God has declared is true?
Would we pray more earnestly for others? Would we do anything we could to see that others heard the good news of the gospel at whatever personal cost and inconvenience? Would it be more important to read God's word than to watch embarrassing bodies or 10 years younger or endless hours of sport or browse the internet? Would his authority actually make a difference in our lives and not just in our heads? Imagine how Kirkpatrick Memorial would become more radiant and would shine in this community if we were most concerned to help each other listen to Jesus. Folks, this is the call of the kingdom. This is what God has said we must do. Jesus was about to suffer at the hands of those who did not know him. And his disciples were not to stop him, but they were to suffer with him, laying down their lives in service of him. And God knew that they needed to hear him say, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God says exactly the same thing to us this morning. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that there are times in Scripture where you speak so clearly, where we hear your voice, where it's laid out for us. And we thank you that this morning we have heard your voice clearly. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Father, we, we ask and we pray that you will enable us to make changes, to shift things around, to give more time in certain areas, to change our priorities, whatever it may be, to enable us to listen to Jesus more clearly. Lord, every single one of us here this morning knows of things that distract us news of other voices that always come in and take us away, chip away at us, pull us in other directions, convince us that things are so important that we can't just leave them. And the whole time you long for us to listen above all to Jesus Christ. Thank you for your words, Lord. Help us to listen to. Help us to listen to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.